Welcome to Headed Someplace, a show where strong, inspiring, enduring women share their stories with us. I'm Kara, and today Leslie Gabbert joins us and talks about struggling with her husband through some pretty dark depression. She talks about raising six beautiful children, some of whom already have kids of their own, and she shares their journey through foster care and adoption. I, luckily enough, get to watch Leslie lay down her life continually for her family, and I can't wait for you to meet her. prefer Leslie or Leslie with a zzz? Oh, that's funny that you asked that. Okay, so this is like the question of my life always. And it's such pressure because I'll get asked that and I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> Ask my parents. I don't know. The answer from my mom is that I'm named Leslie. Wow, okay. However, that is not even what they call me. So there you go. <laughs> That's so funny. So what, I mean, do you have a preference though? Everybody says Leslie and I'm just fine with it. Okay. I will from here on call you Leslie. Actually, I've always called you Leslie. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So Leslie with an S, tell us who you are and what you do in life. Well, I'm married to Mark. We've been married 31 years. We have six kids and... Yes. I love them so much. Um, and that really is being a wife and mom is really my primary, I would say, identity outside of being um, a follower of Jesus. And so my oldest is Spencer. My next oldest is Andrew. Then I have Peter, Lana, Jasmine, and Gracie. They range in age from 28 to 7. 28 to 7. Yes. And so then also, um, other than being a passionate homemaker, um, <laughs> I am recently, again, um, an RN. And so I work in a neonatal ICU. Um, and I'm really enjoying that. I just am about to celebrate my one year anniversary. And I haven't done it in 23 years. So it's been a big deal. That's so awesome. I'm so impressed. Like that would be very intimidating, I feel like to go back to work after that long. Uh, you know, it really was. I always said I, I could never do it. And so it's just God's given me such um, a gift of um, his confidence in me. Yeah. Again, so it's just been a real gift in, in every way. Um, I also am a musician. That's part of who I am. Yes, you are. And I have three precious, precious grandbabies oh. that are four and under. Are they close? Do they live close by? They are recently some so somewhat close. Okay. Um, okay. They are about four hours away in Dallas. Okay. And you're in Oklahoma City. Yes, actually Fort Worth. So, okay. but anyway, it's like three and a half hours, I guess, depending on um, if you get lost or not. Which I have every time. <laughs> so it takes me maybe five hours actually to get there. But do you know what? Um, I'm from Fort Worth originally, and it takes me a good five hours for a typical like three and a half hour trip to my house because of kids and because 35 is literally the worst highway on the planet. <laughs> it is a nightmare. 35 is a nightmare. Last time I put it on, um, oh, what do you call it? Directions or whatever. Yes. My phone was telling me where to go. And it had all these bright ideas about like <laughs> detours. Okay. I, next time turning the phone off, I'm sorry. I'm just yep. going with my gut because I think I circled Fort Worth about three times before I found their house. It's so true. I've done that so many times too. And there's like little, these little, you know, Oklahoma towns or something will take you off, but then it's blocked off. So you have to turn back around, get back in the traffic that you already 
Exactly. It's awful. Exactly. Yes. That's funny. It was terrible. (laughs) That's so funny. So, okay, you said you're a musician, but what do you play or sing? Um, I play keys, and I only sing when forced. (laughs) I have gotten to... Do worship with Leslie before too, and it's it's awesome. So next time I will force you to sing. Oh <laughs> no, I won't, because I want to be friends with you still. Yes, exactly. Um. Okay, so I like to start out each show asking the guests to tell us a random fact about you that not many people know. So okay, so one random fact is that um, I am addicted to beautiful produce. Like, does that mean non-bruised produce? Oh my gosh, Kara. I am so <laughs> dangerous in sprouts if I have money in my purse. It's terrible. My family will call me and say, calm down, calm down. Calm down. <laughs> <laughs> you are not feeding an army. <laughs> I did it one time and I loved that because I could buy as much beautiful produce. <laughs> That's I true. What's the highest number of kids you've had in the house at once that you're feeding? Oh, gosh. Okay. Well, I, you know, it's so funny because I would constantly have to count because it seemed like there were just (laughs) a zillion of them. And so, because we've been foster parents too, we were foster parents for 10 years and we also had uh, a foreign exchange student. We've had um, friends of our kids living with us. Um, I think the most I ever had in my house for an extended period of time was 11. Oh, my. So I am used to cooking for a crowd and I, I really have not quite adjusted to only cooking for four because we only have two at home. You know what? I can bring four other mouths to your house to feed <laughs> anytime. <laughs> I tell you, pretty much anytime you show up, there would be enough food, I'm telling you. But okay. I, I'm struggling in that regard because I still want to buy produce for 11. It is, I'm telling you, it's my heart's desire. <laughs> That's I so can great. open my refrigerator and just stare. I'm not <laughs> even awe. kidding you. I, I know. I can't believe I'm publicly admitting this. I but love it. Yes. I'm so serious. The so, world the world now knows the secret's out. I know. Okay, so another random fact is that I, I currently have 50 pounds of popcorn in my pantry. Wow. Why? Because <laughs> we have soup and popcorn every Sunday night of our lives. So, did you say soup and popcorn? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. how fun. What a fun little tradition. Every single Sunday night, some of our kids are carrying on the tradition. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so every single Sunday night, and um, we actually do, like, float our popcorn in our soup. We love it. But we also have a husband. <laughs> He's awesome. like a, he is the best popcorn maker on the planet. I'm not even kidding you. It is my favorite food in the entire okay, world. Okay, so we're not talking little packages of popcorn. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, no. oh kicking it up a notch at the Gabbert house. <laughs> I have to tell you what, we are a scratch family. Okay, that's a whole other story. Everything is from scratch in this house. But popcorn, oh my gosh. He is like a master. It is like the best stuff you've ever put in your mouth. So there you go. That's awesome. Yeah. And so I knew I'd use it and it was a lot cheaper than buying it one little package at a time. So there you go. And then there's also like, you know, 25 pounds of flour, 25 pounds of sugar. <laughs> you know, I don't know what I, I didn't even have plans for that. You can bake things for me. In fact, I happen to know that you once won a competition for a famous chocolate pie recipe. My gosh. Yes. Yes. But the competition, I have to tell you, was um, there was... Part of the competition was a pea cake, P-E-A cake. Ooh, I'm sorry. That sounds really gross. <laughs> um, it was worse than you can even imagine. <laughs> it's worse than, than you're thinking. And so the competition was light, let's just say. Okay. The competition was light. Okay. <laughs> so, so 
that was the only other pie in the competition? No, it actually was not. The okay. I'm <laughs> like, well, I was going to ask you for your chocolate pie recipe, but maybe not. <laughs> no, actually, my kids always request my chocolate pie. It is pretty decent. I would okay. say, but also pretty basic. I mean, you could make you can make it too. Well, so. we're gonna put it on. You have to share it with me, and we'll put it up on the show notes so everyone can make <laughs> your famous award-winning beat the pea pie <laughs> chocolate pie. <laughs> okay, sounds good. <laughs> okay, any other random facts? Um, I did run the London Marathon in 2010. You ran it. I ran the London Marathon. That's really cool. I didn't realize you were a runner. I was. I have um, a few little foot issues right now, so I run really short distances at the moment, but I used to be a distance runner. Okay. Wow, cool. Okay, so you have six kids. Four of them are biological children. Mm -hmm. Two you adopted. How did you get into fostering and adopting? We lived in England. Uh thus running the London Marathon. And um, we had faced some infertility, believe it or not, after four kids. And um, we had... Wait, you mean that you experienced infertility before you had your four children? Well, we did. Okay. But we were obviously that we got over that problem. Yes, right. (laughs) (laughs) Really? Um, And then um, after we had four, we had a difficult time in our marriage. And when that time um, passed, God brought such redemption and such joy that we really, we decided the best way we could even think of celebrating was to have more children and just to take delight in what God had done. Um, it did not happen. Um, so while we were in England, um, one of the things that God did for me while I was training for the marathon was he just brought a lot of healing. So I would run, run, run the countryside of England, which was, oh my word. Beautiful. So beautiful. I can't even tell you. And so when we got back, we were really not thinking about having more children anymore. I had really come to a place of peace about it. Um, We went to something, an event within the first few days that we were back um, in the United States. And um, we were at an event and the husband cornered Mark, the wife cornered me. It turns out I don't even know why they latched onto us because we really didn't know them very well at the time. I mean, like barely acquaintances. Mm -hmm. But they somehow, they I guess it was just God's plan because they each cornered us individually and told us all about how they had just become foster parents, shared their story with us. And when we got back in the car, both of us pretty much at the same time said, oh my goodness, did you talk to Tom? Did you talk to Louise? And about foster care and our hearts, it was just an instantaneous thing. Our hearts just leapt at what Mm -hmm. God's done in our, you know, individually, but also in that moment together, because we just knew, Mm -hmm. we knew that that's what God had for us and that he'd used the circumstances before that to just prepare us for having more children and opening our hearts and our home. And we knew without a doubt, it was just instantaneous. So that's how we got into it. That's awesome. yeah. Awesome that you were both on the same page because I feel like a lot of times it's it can be years and years until both are on the same page with that sort of thing. Yeah, I can't tell you how many people tell me I would love to do that, but my husband or my wife right. doesn't do it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So cool. Okay. So, how old were your biological children at this point? They were from six to eleven. Okay. So you started having kids in your other kids in your home pretty much immediately we did we went through training and we got our first call it was within two months of finishing our training it might have been I honestly can't remember now but it was pretty quick and so how did your kids um, respond to you guys fostering 
Well, I would just phrase it differently. We didn't really just do something and then they responded to it. We really brought them in from the beginning and said, how do you feel? How would you feel? Mm. Um, how do you feel about children who, who need ministering to? How do you feel about ministering to children? We brought them in really at the very beginning, even before we went in our, into our training. I love that. So that they really felt absolutely a part of what we were doing. And we treated it as a family ministry, not as what mom and dad were doing. So, um, Oh, it's awesome. Yeah. So they were completely on board. They were very, very excited. That's so cool. Did you, did you go into it planning to adopt, thinking you would adopt or how did that come about? Well, actually, uh, part of the process of becoming a foster parent is um, extent. Well, there's it's quite a process. Um, they ask you is about adoption before you ever begin to foster, um, and so they. I remember our social worker um, in our final interview, um, home study interview. She was saying, "Okay, I need to know now, and I'm going to write your answer down. What your thoughts are on adoption? Do you want to adopt? Do you plan to adopt? What What are your thoughts?" And we said, uh, "No, actually, our plan is not to adopt, and we really don't feel necessarily called to adopt. We feel really called to foster, and we feel like if we set out to adopt, that we're putting expectations on someone else's family, oh, that man. family of that child." Um, that are not ours to place on them because they the whole situation is God's at the outset. And so right. we don't want to place expectations on that child, like uh, claiming that child, claiming ownership in that situation. And besides that, we had just been through, you know, some uh, infertility issues. And we felt like there were so many families that were fostering to adopt that it kind of felt selfish, honestly, mm. to set out to adopt, especially since we were so satisfied with our um, our family. And so, um, and we felt extraordinarily blessed with our four. So we said initially, no. Um, and she said, oh, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> good luck. <laughs> she did. She basically said good luck with that because um, I already know you and you're going to adopt. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Seriously, this is how you feel. And she's like, yeah, all right. Okay, All right. cool. I'll let you th- I'll let you keep thinking that. Exactly. Okay, so then so then take us to when you actually did start thinking, okay, well, maybe we will adopt. We actually never uh said that. We never got to that point. So she told us you need to have a plan before the first child hits your doorstep. Um about adoption, even though you say you're not going to adopt, you need to have a plan you and Mark that you um before you even start because once the child hits the door, Everything is off the table. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we took her advice. And um, so our plan, we called it the A word, um, which was the adoption. And we, <laughs> we agreed that we were literally not going to say the word in our home until they came to us and said, this child is facing parental termination of rights and you have the first right of adoption. What are your thoughts? Would you consider um, bringing this child into your family? Mm. And so we stuck with it. We never broke the rule, not one time. Um, and so we, when the moment came with both of our daughters, God had done such a beautiful thing in both situations. We already knew, even though we never talked about it, we literally never talked about it with each other or anyone else and tried so hard 
to love birth families and respect their position in the in children's lives. Um, But by the time they came to us, God had already done the work in our heart. We just knew. We always, we knew. And we also knew, we've said no. We've also said no. And in those situations, we also knew. So they came to you, asked you, talked about the A word, and you said, yep. 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 (laughs) What they would do is they would call us. And I mean, they always called me. So I would would hang up and then um, wait till Mark got home and because that was not really a phone conversation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and we would, uh, we would go on a walk. That's our thing. If we need to get away, because, <laughs> you know, with lots of kids, you know, you have to leave the house in order yes. to have a conversation. Yes. So we would go on a walk <laughs> and within, seriously, the second it came out of our mouths, we would look at each other and there, there was no question. Mm, that's we so just, awesome. We just knew because God had already done the work to make them feel like they were already a part of our family. Right. Yeah. Not even a question. Were the adoptions, did they go smoothly? Was it hard? Um, I would say, first of all, adoption is never smooth. Um, unless you, I don't know, maybe there's somebody out there that's paid zillions of dollars to have an adoption that, you know, I don't even know if that exists. But mm-hmm. in our case, uh, no, it was, it was not smooth. Um, in both cases, it looked smooth at the outset and then completely went south. Um, and then God really just brought it back around. So the situations were entirely different, Mm -hmm. but in both cases, it was, um, one of the toughest faith walks that we, that we've ever walked. Yeah. Hmm. I've always wondered, do the, do the kids want to know their biological parents? Is that hard if they do have questions on you as being the mom and dad? Like, what is that like? Well, I'll be honest that when we first went into fostering and they they explored with us the question of adoption, when Mark and I would talk about it privately, that was the toughest hurdle for us. Um, Because I couldn't imagine on that side of even fostering, having not done it at all, I couldn't even imagine the scenario where you would share your children with other parents, with other people that hold such a high position in that child's life. I, I couldn't even wrap my brain around that. And so that that was my fear. That was my number one fear. Hmm. Um, it's turned out well, but it's, uh, and it's different in both of their cases. Um, but one thing that really helped was that when you foster, if you've been visiting with that family and ministering to that family and honoring them and loving on them, you already have an open adoption. So it's not like all of a sudden you have an open adoption. Right. Um, you, you're already in relationship with those family members. And so if you suddenly decided to have a close adoption, I mean, it would be like amputation. Right. So for us, with some exceptions, because we did have, we have had some difficult family relationships with one of the adoptions, but we do have um, an open relationship with family on both sides. That's cool. That's really cool. And it's been a, it's been a joy. I tell you what, it's been a joy. I, we know um, Jasmine's birth family much better, really, than we know Gracie's and their their reasons for that. But it has brought so much joy, really, to our whole family um, to be a part of their family, for them to be a part of our family. We really, really wish we lived closer. 
That's so cool to hear you say. I would never, yeah, I would, I mean, you said it was your fear going into it, but I would think so too. I would think that would be really hard or think like, oh, you know, is there going to be longing that I wasn't their mom or I was Yeah. And, and really uh, it's hard to say this out loud because it's, uh, it's an honest fear, but that was my worst fear was that they would feel that, oh, I wish, um, I had been with my birth mom. I wish you weren't my mom. And recently, um, after a precious birth family visit for one of our girl, for Jasmine, that was wonderful. And it was just wonderful. I was so glad she could go. Um, but there was that part of me inside that wondered, you know, is, is she going to come home? She's old enough now to really ask those tough questions. Is she going to wonder, you know, why did God do that? Why? Um, I wish that hadn't happened. Or, And we really, really honor her birth mom in our family and her picture is up. And we talk about her and we talk about the gifts that Jasmine has gotten from her. Wow. Um, she, um, she's no longer living, so we don't have a relationship with her, but we do with the rest of the family. And, um, she came home and I was struggling a little bit with insecurity while she was gone, but she came home and she came, came in one night and we were just cuddling and talking and, um, she started to cry and I thought, Oh dear, here it comes. (laughs) Here it comes. And actually what she said was, I'm so glad that you're my mom. And um, I'm crying right now. I know, me too. Dang it. <laughs> I know. Um, but I, there, there are no adequate words to, to describe what that meant to me, to hear her say those words and to see in her face that she meant it with all of her heart. Um, and it doesn't diminish the love that she has for her birth family at all. Right. Um. But for her to see the sovereignty of God and to see her situation as a gift meant more to me than, oh my goodness, just about anything in this life. Yeah. Wow. Oh, that's so cool. I bet you wish you could just bottle up that memory. and <laughs> I did. She fell asleep. I did not. I stayed awake and just praised the Lord for a really long time because um, that is a gift that I didn't expect to receive, um, at least anytime soon. And for, for the Lord to give that to me was one of the sweetest gifts. Yes. And how cool. I think, I feel like that speaks of her to like her ability to affirm you at such a young age. Yeah. I, like I said, I didn't expect that, um, anytime soon, you know, if, if ever I, I, it's not something I can, you know, just expect of her. Right. We've tried so hard to respect her feelings and her emotions because it is a, you know, it is kind of an unusual situation mm-hmm. uh, to be adopted through foster care. And um, I know we'll have a lot more difficult conversations ahead. But one of the greatest desires that we've had for her is that she would be rooted and grounded in Christ first and her identity in Him. And also for her to be grounded and feeling secure in our love for her so that someday when those really hard questions come and we know that they're coming, right? Um, that she comes from a place of strength. Yeah, man, that's, that's awesome. I love hearing how you guys are praying for her and for the way that you, you're praying for them and empowering your kids is really cool. Um, so you talked a couple times about in these couple stories how you and Mark were totally on the same page and sometimes 
you know, I'll hear something like that and think, oh man, I wish that I was totally on the same page with my husband like that. But I do know from your story that that's not always been the case for you and Mark. And so you talked about facing some really hard times before celebrating by having kids. What was that hard, um, dark time in your marriage like? Um, I started, I guess, after Lana was born, um, I started to see some changes in Mark. And um, it wasn't Lana's birth that brought it on. There were, it was really, as he describes it, it was really just himself, just things that had been kind of brewing. But, you know, once you have four kids, your life is completely out of control. <laughs> right. <laughs> pretty much no hope anymore. So not really. <laughs> just, you, it is, it just feels like, you know, wet spaghetti all the time. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Just cannot control it. Okay. It's just, it's just out of control. So um, I think just that aspect of it was probably um, at least one of the triggers. I know there were more. We had some financial strains going on. We had other things. So really what happened was he started to feel that real adult pressure of, oh my goodness, you know, this is really beyond me at this point is kind of what he settled on. And so basically he looked at his faith um, that uh, he thought had lasted, you know, decently up until that time and decided that it was, it was wanting and, uh, that he was, uh, he was just not gonna, not gonna go there anymore. And that it was really just up to him to survive, you know, stress of, of adulting. Mm -hmm. And, um, then that failed. And so when that failed, when he realized that even he didn't have, have it in him, then he just went down a spiral of, of depression that, um, was so dark that he, he did actually uh, actively contemplate ending his life. Um, it was a very, very dark time, not just for him, but for our family. There are several really low points, but one low point was when he admitted to me that he had looked into apartments. Mm. That was a crushing moment for me. For him, it was a certain trip that we took, and on the way home, he he spent the whole way home thinking how he might do away with himself and mm. actually carry out that plan. And, um, and the strange thing is that, uh, on that drive, I knew that's what he was thinking, even though he did not say that, um, oh. God just gave me that, that insight. And I prayed like never before that whole drive home, but there were lots of low points, but that that's what we had gone through. Yeah. What do you feel like in hindsight you've learned from that as far as like how to love your husband through something like that or how not to? Well, goodness, one thing that I realized pretty quickly was not going to work was to try to talk spiritually to him when he was not in that place. And I don't mean that it was it would have been wrong to basically witness to him. I don't mean that. I just mean I made mistakes early on in that process about um, trying to over-spiritualize what was happening and put expectations on him that were just not even realistic um, in his current state. It took me a while to learn to love him just exactly where he was in that moment. Wow. Um, yeah. I desperately wanted him to be somewhere else than where he was at that moment. And um, it really did take me a while to figure out how to love him. How did you 
begin to figure out how to love him just as he was if he were to, to never change? Well, I, I did have some counseling, some good counseling. Um, one thing, honestly, I think the Lord just gave me one night laying in bed um, next to a virtual stranger at that point. God reminded me that when I was a little girl, I'm sure I had seen a black and white movie that completely romanticized this. <laughs> <laughs> I I had this romantic notion about marrying a stranger and then falling in love after you were married. Hmm. And the Lord brought that back to me in a flash one night laying next to my husband that felt completely like a stranger to me. Hmm. He brought that back to me to the point of tears, of just weeping, realizing Oh, wow. That is exactly my situation. I am married to a stranger. And so I just cried out to the Lord to teach me how to love this stranger and how to help us fall in love again. And even if he never changed. Yeah. It's a slow process. I don't have any magic bullets. Um, God was very gracious to both of us during that time. I was not without fault. And we realized that. Um, and, you know, we did a lot of counseling afterwards. And um, we both really were at fault. I'm not going to put the whole thing on Mark by any means. Um, of course it takes two people, you know, for a marriage to fall apart. And it, it absolutely did in our case, take both of us. Um, of course his depression was a really big complicating factor, certainly, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but slowly, but surely the Lord helped me learn just to love in that moment, the man that I had committed my life to loving. And I was really committed. You know, there were definitely moments where it was only for the children. I admit that. Yes, definitely. But you know what? That is a legitimate reason. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I can tell you, I, especially in our day and age, um, I, you know, I, of course, like everyone else knew so many people that had gone through the pain of divorce. I, I didn't want that for any of us. Right. Um, and if, if at all possible, we were going to try to avoid that. Right. So can you tell me about how and when the change happened for him and for, I mean, obviously for both of you, but for his, you know, depression kind of lifting and working through that? Yeah. Well, I, um, I am going to tell you, I will tell you that I'm always hesitant to share this story and I'll tell you why God miraculously delivered him. And I want to give him all the, the glory for that. And I will tell you the story kind of the disclaimer that I want to put up front is I have such compassion for people going through depression. And um, God delivers people in different ways. Some people he delivers fast, others he takes through a process. I really trust God's sovereignty. Um, I would never want to, to make an assumption that, you know, if your faith is just great enough or whatever, he'll He'll do the same for you that he did for me, for our situation. So I just want to put a, yeah. a disclaimer up front to um, to say that everybody's situation is different because God is, he's infinitely wise and he knows um, the best path of healing for each person. And it's different for each person. Yeah. And in our situation, um, we had not actually shared with Mark's family about his depression at that point. My parents knew they had been to visit us and they had even taken our children for an extended period of time just to give us a, um, a rest so that we could spend more time focusing on our, our situation and our relationship. Um, but we, we really had not gotten to the point where we felt comfortable sharing with his family yet. Mm -hmm. However, 
it was Christmas and we were in the car between Shawnee and Tulsa, um, which is about an hour and 45 minute drive. And my stress was building because I knew that they were going to know just from the first glance that things were not right mm-hmm. because you could see it all over his face, his body, his countenance, uh, the words that he was saying. It was so obvious at this point that uh, I was really, really dreading it. Um, and for just a host of reasons. And I don't remember the beginning of the conversation. Our kids had fallen asleep almost immediately, which was absolutely the Lord doing that. And so it was really quiet and pretty much out of the blue. Mark looked at me and he said, do you, do you still love me? Do you even still love me? And the way he asked it was a way that I, I knew, I knew intuitively he was giving me an out. Hmm. This was it. We were about to have the divorce conversation. Mm. And strangely, the first emotion that rose up, and I mean rose up, (laughs) was anger. I, in that moment, I wanted to lash out at him with all claws bared Mm. to say, what in the, what do you mean do I still love you? I have put up with, you know, crap for a while. I mean, are you kidding me? I've stuck with you. Okay, so all these thoughts started rising. I wanted to light into him. Yeah. (laughs) And so in that nanosecond of just anger rising up, God did something miraculous in me. And in that moment before my mouth could spew venom, he showed me a picture, and I, I actually can still see it to this day. And it was a very short path. I mean, like, very short, like a few feet. And then from that diverged to very wide and different paths going in completely opposite directions. On the left side was a very gray and black path. And the bodies of my children were scattered on that path. And I knew what that path meant. Mm. I knew what that path meant. And on the right side was a very, very lush green path with trees and flowers and us walking down that path as a family. And in that moment, it, it could not have been clear. God was saying, you hold life and death in your tongue right now, right this second. And it's in your hands. And I knew, I knew which path I wanted. Yeah. And in that moment, I just cried out to God to give me wisdom and restraint. And so I took a minute and I just gathered myself. And with the most gentleness that I could muster, I said, yes, I still love you. Mm. And in that moment, Kara, God healed him entirely. He says the same thing. That in that moment, he did not know what had just happened in my heart. What he knew was in that moment, literally all the heaviness fell off of him. Oh, that's unreal. And it was gone and it has not returned. So God just opened the floodgates and I felt love for my husband. Mm. He felt love for me. We had such a healing conversation with our children asleep for the entire way. By the time we got to Tulsa, not only had we spent time forgiving each other and affirming 
our love for each other. Mark had had a chance um, really just to tell me what had been happening in his heart and his life. And he had kind of a plan, a path going forward. I didn't try to even tell him what to do at all. I just um, tried to listen. And that was that was the beginning. Hey, I want this show to be as encouraging to all of you as it is to me. So real quick, find me on Instagram at Kara Dawn Z, K-A-R-A-D-A-W-N-Z, and tell me who you'd like to hear from on the show and what kinds of stories you're interested in. Again, that's at Kara Dawn Z. That was when your children were were young. Mm -hmm. And now you have adult children and young children. Um, so I'm in the throes of toddlerdom and infantdom. I don't know if that's a word. <laughs> and I can't even fathom kindergarten, much less grown adult children. So what is it like being a mom to adults? Being a mom of adult children has a lot of challenges. I'm not going to say that I have it figured out yet because I really still make mistakes and I'm still trying to learn how to love each one well. Keeping in touch with everyone is um, a challenge. We found some ways to do that. We, you know, probably like everybody else, we, we have family text threads that, um, and we have all kinds of silly things that we do. And we always share our Chinese fortunes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so whenever any one of us um, goes to an Asian restaurant, it's an unspoken rule that you post it to the family. And it's also unspoken that it's always in the bathroom. So <laughs> that is our family. That is a what should we have as a family? I love it. <laughs> so we get a lot of laughs. And um, so we try to stay in touch that way. They call Mark often for advice, which is wonderful. He's a wise one. He is. He, he's got some still waters that run deep. <laughs> yes. That's a great way to describe him. He is uh, not outgoing. In fact, he's pretty shy, honestly. Um kind of an introvert. Well, I won't say kind of. He is absolutely <laughs> an introvert. But for people who have taken the time to invest in him and get to know him, they are they are not disappointed. He's he's got a lot of wisdom. He's um well, you know, I'm his biggest fan, so yes. I could go on. I love but it. <laughs> um he's wonderful and our kids know that and they do call him a lot for advice and he's always he always makes time for that. Um, always. And I'm so glad. But my challenge probably in that situation is that I'm busy a lot with our younger ones and, and working so, and working, of course. And so I, I'm still very actively a mom. So I don't quite have the normal experience of, you know, we're empty nesters and now we go jetting off to visit the kids all the time. Right. It's just not that way. And so we have to kind of be creative about it. Sure. Yeah. Well, awesome. Okay, so if you could go back five or ten years and tell yourself one thing, what would it be? I kind of wish I could go back about 20 or 25 years. Okay. You can do that. I could save myself a lot of grief. But I think <laughs> probably the biggest thing would be to not get caught up in regret. Basically to worry a lot less and to play a lot more. Hmm. I spent a lot of years worrying about either what I said in the last five minutes, how was that received? Oh my goodness, getting caught up in, oh, I shouldn't have said that, or did I say that right? Really just fear of man yeah, um, and being really, really enslaved to the fear of man and also worrying about other things, decisions I've made 
things I had done or hadn't done and worrying about whether I'd done it right or, you know, worrying about, am I going to ruin my children by doing this? Um, and, you know, just a lot of fear, basically, and, and regret and something that, that God's been doing in, in my heart in the past couple of years has, has been to really bring joy in and teach me how to live just in the moment that he's given me and not look forward and not look back and just not have fear for the future or regret for the past to look deeply into my children's eyes, to hear them, to see them right now, not to have my face glued to a screen, Mm. but to just take the moment that he's given me and live it to the full. Because really that's God's desire for me is he came that I would have life and Mm. that I would live it to the full. And I, I've just realized in the past few years, well, I, I really already knew that I wasn't living it to the full, but I just wasn't accepting the gift of joy that he had for me in each moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's made a big and huge difference, but I wish I'd, I'd come to that place a lot, lot sooner. Right. Yeah. That's so awesome. I love that. I love it. Well, thank you, Leslie, for spending this hour with us. Several of you have asked about the music for the show, and this is brought to you by yours truly and my friend Alex Howard of The Light Parade. You can listen to our stuff at youtube.com slash thelightparade. Find me on Instagram at Z with a K. Let me know what you think of the show, leave a review on iTunes, and share the show with your peoples. To see photos from Leslie's life or for her famous chocolate pie recipe, visit headedsomeplace.com. She also shares her top 10 books of all time and some music she's listening to and loving. I hope today you feel a little less alone and a little more encouraged.